everybody, this is Chaubert Chauberry, uh back here at the Chaubert Show. I'm really excited for our next guest, Babak Imamian. He has been a good friend for several years, actually since uh, we were part of the, the Persian Tech Entrepreneurs Group. Uh, but uh, I'd love to introduce him to the show. Thanks for being part of it, Babak. And uh, you want to introduce yourself and uh, who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me, Chaubert. It's uh, always good to catch up and uh, I'm excited for, for your show and, and very grateful to be on it. Um, yeah, I'm Babak. Uh, I grew up in Iran till I was in third grade and then moved to the States um, and went to high school and college in Connecticut um, and then started a company in 2009 called Prolific, uh, sold minority stake in 2016 to Omnicom. And then grew that company to about 120 employees and 30 million in revenue. We were building iPhone and Android apps for startups and brands, companies like Rent the Runway, SoulCycle, Gap, Sephora, and a whole bunch of others. And then we sold uh, the whole company in 2019 to WeWork. And then I started a VC fund called Debut Capital uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and our focus is on investing in black Latinx and indigenous founders at the pre-seed seed and a little bit of series a across all verticals. Well, that's an incredible background. Uh, so growing up in Connecticut and new England, like how was that like, I mean, you're a kid that just came from another continent, uh, coming up here. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what made you kind of like go from there to the college and living like, quite frankly, the American dream, which is always everybody wants to start their own company here, right? How did, how did that kind of uh, uh, come out from, you know, your childhood to you know, your adulthood? Was that all in correlation or was that different? You kind of had an aha moment later. Yeah, it started. I mean, I remember the day, my first day of school, uh, I didn't speak any English and I remember uh, walking in and, and the class was already in session and, uh, everybody was just staring at me and I was like, Oh shit. Um, <laughs> and so that was, that was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and then just trying to, you know, you're on a mission to, uh, fit in. And that was kind of, you know, the original goal, um, when you're little, trying to make friends and, um, and so over time I became more and more comfortable and, and blended in, um, which, you know, now I think I, I looking back, I, I learn a lot from that experience. Um, and, um, you know, I had, I had a, a lot of hobbies. I was, I was, uh, I always tell this story. School wasn't my favorite thing to do. And I remember also when I first moved to Connecticut, um, after I had, uh, stepped into that classroom, they gave me like a, a teacher, my own teacher that would sit next to me in the class. Really? And in Iran, like if you forgot to do your homework, I just remember like bracing myself for just, you know, getting absolutely reamed out and like in so much trouble from the teachers. Yeah. And so when, when the first time I actually, uh, left my homework, you know, the, the, those desks that you can like lift up and yeah, you can put I stuff on. Yeah, yeah. So I left my homework pamphlet in there and i and the next day I came into class and I was just like, I'm in, I'm just so, so much trouble. And I remember nothing happened. They were like, Oh, it's okay. You could like, don't worry about it. And I was like, what? 
And that was kind of the beginning of the end for my schooling. Cause I think I was on a, a, a track to, to continue to scheme the system after that. So, oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, okay, high so school, you got your like, little entrepreneurship hat, uh, as a little kid, uh, you know, cause you could go on multiple routes that are like <laughs> really, uh, really challenging or, uh, you challenge the status quo, but like you have immigrant parents, you know, like they, a lot of times come here and uh, do everything possible to come here and have you live the dream. Um, and their biggest sacrifice is getting you to get like the best grades possible. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I also grew up with like Persian Iranian parents and you know, your success is, did you bring in like a 4.0 or at least in the three point somethings? Right. Um, so how did you finagle that? Like you were actually like studying uh, school, but you're you know, kind of trying to become this new person now that you saw this. Uh, and then how did you manage that within, you know, the confines of your parents and home and so forth? Or did you actually perform well while uh, figuring no, out? No, definitely like, not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a battle. I mean, I think, it, you know, it's a balance. Uh, you, your parents are on you. Um, yeah. And if it's not something you're passionate about, and I think I, I just learned over time that my learning style is, is very – different than what the schooling system is. So like, for example, I would come home from school and instead of doing my homework, I was taking apart the VCR machine or I was trying to build mm. like these lasers that would set, set off an alarm um, that I would get like these little kits for from, from Iran. Um, and so <laughs> I was very hands-on and very yeah. curious, but you know, and, and no fault to my, my parents, I think the, the, to your point, like they sacrificed a lot to get here, um, starting over, having no family around and, and like you are the, the focus, you know, and, and your actions and, and the, the only signal they have to success is the grades that you get. Um, yeah. and they can't see it all play out that like, Oh, you're like, you're taking apart this, uh, remote or this VCR or this TV or whatever. And that, 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 that's actually could be an area of interest. It was like, you know, tunnel f focus and, and I don't blame them at all. It was, it's totally fine. Um, but tunnel focus on getting you the best grades cause that equals success. Um, yeah, but I think also, yeah. And, and also like in the Iranian culture, as you know, like if you go back to Iran and you work for someone else, you get made fun of. And so like, that's, that's embedded in, in the community is like, starting your own thing and being your own boss. And, and so um, maybe that's a, a, a factor of like when, when I would go back to Iran, all my uncles or, or cousins or whatever, like they're just hustling and they're doing their own thing. And, and you can kind of see what's, that it's possible, that it's normal, that it's okay. And, and I remember when I was starting my first business, I was really bracing myself to, to let them down. And their first reaction was great. Let us know how you can help. And I think that was wow. like a, you know, in today's, like anybody who's starting a business knows like your, your va validation from the people who have supported you is a big deal. And if they don't validate that you're making the right decision when you're still in the nest, it's like, you know, can weigh on you and, and dissuade you from, from moving forward. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, how supportive they were from, from day one. Yeah, definitely having the support, support system, uh, both, uh, mentally, physically, and like, uh, financially, 
uh, is always a plus, man, especially. Um, and I, I do believe in like where you live is very important, right? So at some point you realized you were in like Connecticut and, uh, you know, you, you started a company. Did you start it there? Did you actually start it uh, in college? Did you bring it out? When did you bring it out to Brooklyn? Right. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, I've actually been in mobile tech uh, industry for several years of uh, like 15 and out of that, like 10 years in the mobile app, mobile app industry definitely can be decentralized. But initially, a lot of them, you know, were based in San Francisco. And you, again, you guys are in Brooklyn. So how, how did this all compile? And, and I noticed uh, this is another part of the question is, uh, you know, you you. Your entrepreneurship hat came in again when you were trying new things with like toys and gadgets and games. Uh, did you have other hobbies? Uh, like, were you a competitor doing sports? Uh, you know, like all that kind of, com- I feel like also embodies in who you are now. Uh, in yeah. Being kind of uh, like an entrepreneur um, and an investor. Totally. Yeah, I think um, I really, I remember, I remember going into school one day. I mean, there, there's a couple moments that really stood stood out to me that I was like, wait, what is this? One was like when when you when I went into school after Christmas and everybody had gifts and I was like, what is this? Oh. Why didn't I get any gifts? You know? <laughs> oh man, you had like like that's like when FOMO didn't actually have a, a terminology. Yeah. You had FOMO for feeling definitely left out. Uh, left I out. get it. Yeah, it was yeah. Love. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the funny so thing then, now I, I mentioned now with people is uh you know, we kind of now uh, being American raised uh, is mm-hmm. you celebrate Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. and then you know you could get in with some of my other friends. Right now, it's Chinese New Year, and then uh, Persian New Year. So basically, the next three months, it's like a bunch of new celebrations, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, but yeah, man, that's so. That what did you kind of uh, have that notice? Uh, you know, uh, with that, like, what did what did you uh, did that cause anything? Uh, did you feel like, like outside of being feeling left out? Like, what did you, did you use yourself to like inspire yourself to, you know, or did you just go back to your parents and say like, Hey, what, what's going on? here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it, it kind of led to this, this path of which led me to sports of like, okay. um, you know, I want to, yeah, I want to not only fit in, but like, I want to know what's going on, how, you know, and, and a lot of people were coming back to school and talking about football practice. And I was like, what, what's football? So one day I was like, Ma, can I go play football? And I, and she's like, uh, okay. So I go to one – the first practice, they give me all this gear. I'm like, they're literally just like, you know, stand here and like I'm trying to learn and watch how people are doing stuff. And they're like, you know, hit hit the person in front of you and like push them back. And literally within like 30 minutes, we, we start doing these drills. And I remember like falling on the guy I was I was like blocking or whatever. And I landed on his thumb and it broke. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like the most disgusting thing. And I was like, fuck this. I am not playing this. This is brutal. So so then the next the next sport that kind of people were talking about in school was baseball. And so um Yeah. You oh know, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and I, I started really late. I mean, I don't even remember it was maybe like sixth grade or something. Um, and so I was like, Oh, can I play? And, and so go and, and just like really fell in love with it for whatever reason. And, and it was pretty innocent to be honest. It was just like the, a thing to do with, with friends. And yeah. I think that led to like, you know, travel baseball. Hey, can we go do this thing? It's like the next step. And, um, you know, just really enjoyed hanging out with friends and then, um, played in high school and, and, 
uh, I think what really changed for me was when I went to college, I went to Quinnipiac in Connecticut. <clears throat> and um, I remember the night before they had tryouts. It's a division one school. And the and I was like, you know, maybe I'll go try out. Like nobody recruited yeah. me. I wasn't very good. Um, but I thought I, I loved baseball. It was it was like a big part of my life. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll try out just so I could just close this chapter, you know, okay. like be done with it. And yeah. I remember looking at like my bag that I had prepped from the night before. I was like, ah, this is kind of a waste of time. Should I do this? Woke up in the morning, ended up deciding to try out. I go to tryouts and I tried out for every single position. So infield, outfield, catcher, and then pitcher. And when you, when you go through tryouts, they make you throw as long and hard from every position as possible. So by the time I get to try out as a pitcher, and it all happens within a two-hour window or whatever, yeah, I couldn't even like lift up my arm anymore. And I remember like throwing two pitches, and the coach puts his hands up. He goes, all right, son, I think we get the point. <laughs> He's like, you could, you could stop now. And I was like, all right, I guess I didn't do very well. And and I well, didn't even check the, um, you know, the yeah. like tryouts were over. It was a couple of days long. I wasn't I, even going to check the like standings, you know, if yeah. who made the team or whatever, because it was, yeah. that was it. It was over. And, what and all, all these kids were like bigger than me, hitting the ball way further, throwing it way harder. And yeah. somebody that I had met during the tryouts um, called me and was like, hey, did you check the coach's office? I was like, why would I check the coach's office? He's like, you should probably go check. So I run over there. I'm like, no, what? And I, and I remember uh, wow, that's just cool. seeing my name and I was like, what? Yeah. Is this what, a mistake? Yeah. Yeah. So did, uh, that's incredible. So basically you registered it on. You weren't even, uh, obviously, uh, you didn't get a scholarship or anything. Uh, what position did you actually get at, uh, at the baseball level? Uh, yeah. The, the, well, the first thing the coach de- did was he, he sat me down and he's like, okay, you, uh, we have one position open and it's for a bullpen catcher. And a bullpen catcher is essentially, it's not even a role on the roster. You just warm up the pitchers before they go in the game. So you even play. And he goes, and just to be very, you know, upfront with you, you'll never play a game at Quinnipiac ever. But if you want this spot to warm up the pitchers, you can. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll take it. Like, <laughs> of course, why would I? This is, this is amazing. It's keep yeah. playing baseball. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And college, yeah, so, Division One. that's incredible. Did you yeah. end up actually playing any any actual game um, or batting? I did. Hitting? Yeah. That's so I, that's incredible. I think, I think the lesson there, well, there's a couple lessons that happened. One was, when people tell you something is impossible, that's just not true. Yeah. And I think when, and then, and then another thing was as soon as the, I remember the first practice, you, if you're a sponge and you're a student, you're watching and you're watching and you're, you're, you're kind of learning how things are done. Like, uh, and, and then it becomes about work ethic and, and applying those learnings. And so I just worked really, really hard every single day. Yeah. Um, and that really added up and, and, you know, people would work out normally, but I was, I was like doing three times the amount I was trying to catch up. Yeah. And so, um, by the second year I got hurt, but by the third year I was in the lineup, I started a couple of times and then wow. by 
you know, my last year, I, was, I to start the season, I was hitting fourth, you know, and, and you in the middle of the line. You know, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's an incredible story. You know, um, yeah, the, the whole notion of perseverance and going after your dream, you basically did that from like a grit way. Uh, I have something of a similar story, but not really direct. I, so I was a big fan of basketball and I did summer league basketballs and I missed out my freshman year and I went to a very competitive high school, Sarah in San Mateo, where, I mean, back then athletes, uh, decades before like Lynn Swan and Barry Bonds and then. Um, wow. recently I missed Tom Brady by a year. Wow. And, and so it was like very competitive. So I didn't have get, I didn't go my freshman year. I did sophomore year. I barely missed the cut, but it's okay. I played summer league and I was like, you know, what's my way in? I'm going to do track and field and track and field will be my end to get in shape and to really be, do basketball. But the funny thing mm-hmm. was I fell in love with track and field. It was just the mm-hmm. purity of the running, the consistency, and I did long distance when everybody thought I was crazy in high school. Um, so there's there's these three. Uh, everybody gets one of these like awards at the end, like a medal. There's three plaques, and I didn't even go to the ceremony because I was studying for finals as a nerdy immigrant kid. And uh, the next day, everybody's like, by the third person saying congratulations, I'm like, huh? What is that supposed to mean? Uh, I went to the coach, and they're like, you won one of the plaques. I'm like, whoa! Now I feel embarrassed. I didn't go. Uh, so there's like best field athlete, best runner, and then I won the most inspirational. Uh, and to me, that was interesting because I just naturally would go uh, and cheer on everybody on the team to make sure we could win every team sport, individual kind mm-hmm. of team sport, so we could win the the, the, the match basically in the meet. Um, so we could win, you know, compete for the, the like the later stages and playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because of that, like, for example, who, who cheers on pole vaulters and things like that? Everybody right. cheers for the runners. Everybody cheers for shot put maybe. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you're was a great funny. teammate. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, yeah, that applies so to that, everything to me. In, I'm in like, dude, field. I, 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 yeah, this was so ins- like, to me, it was like, that was like a reverse, like that inspired me to do what I want, uh, without mm-hmm. any hesitation. So that's, that's an incredible story. And actually there's this historian that says there's three things that are like core to American history. Um, it's, it, you know, this is obviously argumentative, but the, his core theory is the three things are um, hot dogs and hamburgers, specifically hot dogs for food. He says jazz music. And then third is baseball. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the interesting thing about baseball is all the mechanics is it's to me more than a game than a sport and a lot of the mechanics you almost could use it for uh you know business analogy where it's like mm-hmm. it's three men on two men out it's the the right. bottom of the ninth what do you do do you do you right. sacrifice blah 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 and it's like the same thing it's like your startup needs funding do you sell do you do funding or do you scrap it more uh you know those there's relatable discussions like that um so it's interesting uh you know hearing that you did baseball uh, and there is relatable stuff with like the startup world. So you said you started this in, in uh, the prolific you did in um, Connecticut. And then when did you guys move and how did you find your founders? Uh, and when did you guys move to Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, after taking apart VCRs and stuff, uh, I I had a class in, in middle school, I think maybe, in, and they taught us Dreamweaver. And oh that God. was kind of the beginning of, you know, uh, yeah beginning of making websites and I was like, Oh, what is this? And starting to learn Photoshop and, 
you know, I was really always engaged in those classes. It was like less reading books and more doing stuff. Yeah. So that aligned with my learning style. And, and I didn't know at the time, I just thought those were like easy classes, you know, <laughs> but it was actually where, where I had most passion. And so, uh, I was building our high school team's website and that kind of started me in that realm and, um, and then was managing it in, into college. And, and I remember getting stuck on a problem and there was one, one guy on our team who was like known as the, <clears throat> you know, the person who's a designer and coder. Okay. And so one day, um, you know, I asked him, I was like, Hey, Eric, can you, uh, help me with this thing? I'm, I'm kind of stuck. And I remember him coming over on, and on the computer, it took him like 30 seconds to fix it. And I was like, what? I've been working on that for like two weeks. So that was the beginning of, and he was on my team. He was a teammate of mine. We used to travel on the road and everything. Um, he was a pitcher and I was a catcher and we always had a really great relationship on the field um, and off the field. And and so somebody my senior year, one of our mutual friends, his dad owned a catalytic converter uh, shop in, in Connecticut and he wow. wanted an e-commerce was new. So he had this idea to sell the catalytic converters online. We're like, and, and he asked us, hey, can you do it? And we're like, uh, I have no idea what a catalytic converter is <laughs> and never built an e-commerce website, but fuck yeah, let's do it. So we figured that out, got that up and running. And I think the lesson there was like, just because you don't know it today doesn't mean you aren't capable of learning it and delivering yeah. it at a high level and executing. Um, and so when, when we graduated, it was kind of, uh, I, I couldn't get a job or I was interviewing all these like sales places. It was just like brutal. Um, yeah. And so somebody else had asked us if we could build them a site and, and that was kind of the beginning. So I would scour Craigslist at the time and go door to door in Hamden, Connecticut, knocking on all the dentists and doctor's offices and asking them, Hey, do you need a website? Do you need a website? Do you need a website? And, uh, our first website was a a landscaping company Yeah, and it was, uh, it took us two months to do and we got paid $300. And so that was, uh, we had to like live off of that. And so we, we would map out all the happy hour spots with the free food and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. And then then our old, our old athletic director asked us, Hey, the iPhone had just come out and he was like, Hey, can you build us an iPhone app? Wow. It was again, the same thing. We're like, I had no fucking clue how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, yeah, let's figure this out. Yeah. So we figured it out, we built that and that was kind of the beginning of whole, wow, nobody knows anything about this stuff and people are always commenting on how young we are. But the nice thing about iPhone apps is everybody's starting from scratch. Like nobody's more experienced than us because it just, you know, launched. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that was when we started to move to New York. I, I kind of went there for a summer and explored it. And one of our advisors at the time, we were looking at moving offices into New Haven. And he, he came to lunch with us and goes, do you want to be the best in Connecticut or do you want to be the best in the world? And we're like, oh well, that makes sense. I guess, uh, I guess we should probably right to uh, New York City. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So yeah, and we were so naive. It was just like, yeah, sure, why not? And uh, and so that was when Eric and I moved to New York and just kind of started to settle down. And and uh, shortly thereafter, we decided to only do iPhone and Android apps, and that's really when it, it changed our business. 
That's incredible. Side note, you know, catalytic converters right now, the most, one of the most stolen things here in California, um, because the resource of that product could be used to create like, uh, solid metals. It's just, Oh, they melt it down. Yeah. They, they smelt it and, you know, resell it. It's crazy. Um, and then as far as I remember the early days, I've, I've been in the same situation. Some of my friends, we moved to San Francisco, tried some iPhone apps. Uh, one of the apps we tried was this like game. We wanted to create like a digital magazine. Um, and the idea behind it was like, okay, you want to digitize magazines where you could touch, touch and play with the accelerometer that the iPhone came with. No other phone has ever done such a thing. Um, so we're like, all right, what's, what's the easiest way? Let's make a game. And out of the game, it was a silly game because the market crashed and everybody's like stressing out. So like we call it stress relief where you could tap faster or scream louder and make the person cry. Uh, Apple obviously never approved of that. But uh, after that and going through that experience, I definitely wanted to get in this industry. Um, and this is probably around 2009, 2010. Um, and that was the time of the App Store launch. Steve Jobs took what Mark Zuckerberg created, in my opinion, the App Store for Facebook um, and amplified it because the device like an iPhone is in everybody's hand. Um, and, uh, it was the wild west, like games and apps would launch, yeah. they would hit the top charts really quickly. That was the top charts on like I- iPhone and Android was like watching the billboard charts for music. Um, you know, because it was, once you hit that, you're getting free installs and revenues. It was pretty exciting. It's kind of like in comparison, I call it like how crypto and, you know, NFTs are right now, if you're part of it and you get into like one of these products and buy it through tokenizing and, and it just jumps up. That excitement is there. Um, what it was there like 10, 11 years ago uh, for that, the store. So, um, so you guys moved to Brooklyn, you work with some major brands. Um, you know, what is some stores you have? Uh, were you able to kind of be cash flow positive? Did you raise capital? Um, do you have any stories that uh, you remember that was like, oh my God, this is like, this is scary. What are we doing? Uh, you know, almost like shutting off to like aha moment where you have something here for another level. Um, so do you have some examples that you could talk about? Yeah, um, many. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll start with like the, you know, the roller coaster rides. Um, I think um, we had, so when we moved to New York, uh, we, we actually tried to raise a little bit of money. We raised maybe like, 600,000 or something with this idea that um, we were going to be one part agency, which would generate cash flow and we would work for clients. Yeah. Another part of the business would be that we would come up with our own ideas and launch them. To your point, it was like the wild, wild west, right? Yeah. And then the third one was we would discount our rates for equity from startups. So we raised, you know, a little bit of money. It was, it was a grind, learned a lot. And then a couple months later, we like, not a couple months, probably like six months later, we spent it. And it was like, holy shit, what just happened? And what we learned was actually the life cycle of a startup uh, to, to, you know, if you invest in it, and then, you know, for, for you to see any money from that is going to be a long time, like five, 10 years, right? Yeah. So all we were doing was basically funding people's salaries, and there was no way we were going to be able to sustain that. and and. On the flip side, the agency was bringing in cash, and we were able to, you know, uh, pay pay our people that way. So that was kind of, uh, you know, wake up call. Uh, and 
yeah, it was it was pretty challenging. So at that point, we we kind of decided to um, shift our focus mo- mostly on you know the revenue generating part of the business, which was the agency. Yeah, and there there's you know always times where we would uh, we were always paycheck to paycheck. You know, I pay the myself and my uh, co-founder and pay ourselves for God knows how long. Um, and you know, I remember one day it, it was always about making payroll. That was like the goal. And one day uh, we were we were short money, and it was like payroll was coming up the next day. I had called everybody I knew to borrow money. It was like embarrassed. It was just an awful, awful moment. And. I remember uh, that night just like falling to my knees in the shower and just like praying that something would happen. And the next morning uh, I woke up and went and checked the mailbox and there was a check enough to clear, you know, payroll. So there's lots of those moments and it was happening all the time. And uh, it was just more motivation to go out and find the next deal to kind of fund our operations and and grow. Um, And then I think the, the big aha was, um, and this applies to any business now. Yeah. Um, you know, we were doing websites, Facebook apps, iPhone apps, Android apps, you name it. Um, CD covers, like ooh, anybody would pay us. I was like, yeah, let's go. And we had a critical moment where we decided to say no to everything except for iPhone and Android apps. And that was the first lesson in kind of focus and uh, building an expertise in a space um, and investing in, you know, the verticalized knowledge uh, building um, and, and how to become a pro in, in something. Um, and the second time we, we kind of even nailed that focus even more was when, you know, and that, that kind of project, projected us into the future and we started growing. It was like 10, 20, 30 people. And then we decided the next big decision was let's only focus on e-commerce companies. Let's go after them and build them iPhone and Android apps because the first one we had, it was as soon as we launched, we're like, holy shit, they're making money. So that means they can afford to pay us. But then when we work with Startup X over here, it's a brand new idea. It's just like they can't pay us after we launch the app because they have no more money. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a big unlock and, and that kind of, you know, uh, launched us into a whole nother category and, and started to really grow the business pretty significantly after that. Which is really smart. And, and I know how difficult it is actually to get into uh, being like an, like an agency that people trust and rely on too. So once you actually had a couple of clients that definitely helped you guys out um, to really scale. And then mm-hmm. um, when, when did the, uh, because it's prolific, first of all, that's a cool name. Uh, when when did WeWork come about to say, "Hey, we need a company like this"? Uh, because WeWork is more of a initially, you know, it was just a pure real estate company. They would come take over uh, a commercial office space, vamp it up, make it look really, really nice, almost like a startup based style office space, share space. Um, and then over time, it became this thing where they wanted to be community and a social network within like professional sh- social network in the WeWork space and digitally. Um, so when did you guys talk to WeWork and uh, you know get a, get acquired? So in 2016, we uh, I think we in 2015 we had done like 10 million in revenue, and it's weird like when you when you get to the 10 million mark for some reason. 
a lot of people start knocking on your door. Um, so I think it was right when, you know, 2015, now the app stores are like a staple brands want it. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. And, uh, we had just got across the $10 million in revenue mark and a company had reached out about potentially acquiring us. And so that kind of put me down the path of trying to really understand what does this mean? And, um, as the CEO, trying to really understand what our options were. Yeah. Um, and, and how the market would value us and, and how we're going to grow into the future. So talked to a few friends who also had agencies and, um, and, and a couple that had sold it and, and a couple who decided not to, and all roads led to you know, this idea that we would entertain the market and just see what kind of offers we would get so that it kind of gives us an understanding of where we, where we are. Did you guys go direct so hired- or did you work with like private equity? Um, yeah, so we hired a banker. We interviewed a bunch of bankers, um, brought them on to represent us, and we ran a process and and you know met with maybe twenty companies, got you know five or six uh, offers, and and had to really decide what we wanted to do. And and there was two kinds of offers. One offer was this type of aqua hire, come in house, lead product, help us become experts in mobile. And then the other value was um, bolting onto existing agencies or holding companies to become their mobile arm and, and really help them grow in that way. So those are kind of like the two uh, value adds for us in the market. And when we evaluated those, because um, we were product people dressed up in an agency business, um, it was really tempting to, to do the product route, but we felt like we had a path to $100 billion in revenue. Uh, yeah. We were really ambitious. We were starting to get really confident. We were executing against our goals and plans. And it felt a lot more um, straightforward. And the other ones were kind of like unknowns. Um, and so we, we decided to actually sell a minority stake um, to Omnicom. And we wanted to do that because it would give us still control. Um, we would get the benefits of their advice and you know they joined our board and we would get to see under their hood and how they operate you know multi-billion dollar enterprise like that yeah um how they pitch all this kind of stuff um and and uh still retain control and decide what we want to do in the future um and so after we made that decision you know we would go to their off sites we, we would kind of network with other ceos and and operators in that network. And one of the things that I started to see the trend was a company that was doing 300 million in revenue would be talking about the same challenges that we were having at 20 million in revenue. And so what that told me was, you know, there's, there's not too much more learning to do. It was really just executing. And for me, I'm, I'm a founder at heart. I start things I, I bring life into them, into existence. And, and you know, that's that's really a, a fun process for me. Um, and so, and, and our team, it was super loyal. We had an incredible, incredible team. Everybody is just pouring their heart and soul into this. And it just wasn't a sustainable, you know, uh, pace. And so, so kind of seeing that, um, you know, and, and then also starting to invest. So after we did that deal, I took some money off the table and um, was able to start to do some angel investing. And I, I started to learn that like, holy shit, a SaaS company is uh, valued at 10 times their revenue. 
But our company, if we're lucky and we get a competitive deal, would be two to three times the revenue. So now you start valuing your own time and you're like, okay, if yeah. I'm pouring my whole life and soul into this, but I'm only going to get two to three, I'm going to grow the revenues like crazy. What, what, like, this doesn't really make sense. Um, and so that was kind of when we were on pace for 30 million. And um, I kind of saw a window of opportunity to start to explore again, go back out to market um, and see what's out there. And at the same time, we had just launched an app for WeWork in like four months. Um, oh, wow. And they had a pretty big team, um, but they, they didn't have enough bandwidth to launch this new project. It was like an on-demand project, which is now actually what's uh, a part of their business um, that we were doing like a prototype for. And, um, you know, after we launched that app, uh, it was a team of five people. And so they had like a thousand, you know, people uh, in, in, the, in the org that were working in technology. And, um, and everybody was like, wait, how did, how did the team do this with five people? And in four months, like it would take them, you know, a year, year and a half or two years to launch something. So I think that's when uh, Adam had, had kind of gotten the app in his hands and was like, all right, let's, let's connect. And, and so we started to have some conversations and, um, and that's kind of when we uh, ended up deciding to go down that route. So that was uh, July of, of 2019. We closed that deal. That's incredible. You've, I think that's at least 10 years you were with Prolific. You guys were running it before being acquired from WeWork. Yeah, it was 10 years. That's pretty amazing. And I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know with time, um, got a few minutes left. I want to kind of get into like what you're doing now, uh, which is incredible. I think it's what you're doing now is like pretty incredible. Um, definitely going with the movement and uh, would love to hear like, how did you um, and your co-founder started like debut capital? Like what's the core essence of it? Um, you know, you're definitely inspiring a lot of people um, from like African Americans, Latin Americans, uh, and, and beyond. And so it's, uh, it's great to see that, you know, you're helping, uh, like feel like entrepreneurship, uh, in different communities. And I wanted to see like, you know, uh, how did you just come about with this? This is pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah. In 2015, we did our first anonymous survey at prolific. Um, and I always thought I was building a diverse and inclusive environment coming from Iran. Yeah. And I just thought I was like, based on my own experience, it was like trying to be really open. But um, the results that came in were actually exact opposite of what I thought. Um, people were really honest, thankfully, and um, you know, not many black or Latinx employees and, and people in positions of power, not many women in positions of power. Um, and it was a big shock to my system because you, you're kind of like going about your day thinking you're doing one thing, but it's actually the opposite. Yeah. And, um, and so that was the first moment where I had to pause and kind of think about, okay, what are, what am I going to do differently moving forward? And so that's when I started to expand my network, go to different conferences and just kind of listen and learn what people were going through and, 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 you know, building, uh, friendships and, and listening and learning and, and getting involved in different communities. And I think at that moment, I realized that when we moved to Connecticut, that the town I was in was predominantly white. And then the university I went to is predominantly white. So, and, and my objective and goal was to always fit into those communities, you know? So I had kind of, um, without knowing it, built uh, my network, um, you know, in those, in those communities. And, and, uh, 
and our actions had had not made it an inclusive place where where um you know other people would would feel comfortable and so when when we started going to these conferences i started meeting founders uh of color who were building legit businesses but weren't being taken seriously by traditional vcs and so and on the flip side i had just started angel investing and so people who i would get intros from my network from connecticut or, or college um which were mostly if not all white men um were getting funded on just their idea and it wasn't like you know it wasn't like two or three founders of color that were having this problem it was like 10 to 15 wow and so and and i'm always like three is a pattern you know and it's like okay there's obviously this is wild so that that kind of even inspired me to dig in more and and really like learn more about what founders were going through and and um, but you're actually generally things. doing this though so like there's a lot of people talking about it you and your you know managing partner uh whom I'm, i've not been fortunate enough to meet have started a fund to do this and i know there's others popping up right there's like alexis ohanian just announced another round for his new venture fund that specifically focuses on this right um and then you know, tech companies in general are talking about it. They're emphasizing a percentage growth per hire. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, what's impressive is you've you basically gone all in uh, with this. Yeah. So how did you meet your, uh, your you know, partner who and managing your team, basically? Um, and, uh, you know, how much did you guys raise and how many companies have you uh, supported in this uh, and where you're at with uh, debut capital? Yeah. Yeah, so I met my co-founder uh, Pilar at Prolific. She actually has, uh, was working there, and so oh, uh, she was the one that I would be working on on our DNI initiatives. And so we were the ones going to these conferences together and kind of talking about this stuff all the time, if not every day. Um, and so when we were going through the sale to WeWork, her and I worked really closely on the M and A transaction, and we had a blast. It was really hard, um, but but uh, ultimately learned a lot. And, and the deal-making aspects of that, we really love. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of when the idea came up. We're like, hey, what do you think about investing in uh, diverse founders? And so at that time, we didn't have a definition. We sat down. We're like, okay, um, the most underrepresented right now are Black, Latinx, and Indigenous founders. And that's where we're passionate about. Um, and so we pulled together some money, made up uh, anywhere from $1,000 to $25K. We were investing did about 25 deals um, and just, you know, it started out as one day a week, turned into two, three, four, five, and then uh, learned that we loved investing. We, we love meeting founders. We love supporting them. And so we decided to raise a $5 million fund, which we're in now, to uh, essentially be able to continue to deploy capital, but also learn a little bit more about what if founders really need at the earliest stages. So We've been in listen learn mode for the last two years, and uh, we're we're going to start you know raising another fund um, in the future, and um, really excited to kind of take those learnings and provide some really innovative programs and capital to to dope founders. That's incredible. How many companies have you guys invested so far? Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Wow, mm -hmm. that's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, been amazing. Yeah. Um, Wow, and what is I just high level like? What is uh, there? Is it mostly technology based companies? 
Um, like what is some that are probably name brands or anything that, uh, uh, you know, specific that you want to kind of name? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we go across sectors. So we have CPG, um, to, you know, tech and SAS to, um, you know, gov tech and, and prop tech. So uh, we're pretty agnostic. Um, you know, one of our earliest investments was a company called Squire. Um, and, they uh, they've gone on to raise a significant amount of capital and are valued at 750 million now. Wow. Um, Chipper Cash is now worth two billion. Wow. Um, you know, Breaker is another uh, awesome company that's um, uh, crushing it. Loop we we got in there really early and they just raised at a hundred million dollar valuation. Um, so it's it's still really early for our portfolio, but the founders are just amazing incredible founders and they're they're all crushing it amazing leaders um and and really uh just we're so lucky that they allow us to be on their cap table and um and and allow us to collaborate with them very cool and uh you know we about like a minute or two left real quick i wanted to ask you what's your thoughts like what's going to happen you know this 2022 i'm pretty excited optimistic what do you see this year like some big big things are going to happen in the world business-wise and beyond. And and then uh, also like in the next few years and what do you see yourself doing in the process? Yeah, I'm not a big uh, predictor, but I, I do, uh, you know, I guess I'll talk about my passions or where I'm doubling down. Um, okay. And that kind of gets into this idea of like, what, what am I predicting the world will, will be like? Um, you know, I think there's certain parts of web three, that are extremely innovative and, and exciting and how that applies to different industries. So in, in the venture capital industry, I think is an example, um, you know, that's going to be really fun. And, and we're working on a couple projects to, you know, start learning and, and playing around. Um, and this idea of uh, transparency, um, ownership, um, is really crucial. Uh, yeah. and it feels like the user experience is awful right now, but I think that's actually the opportunity. Um, mm. and so it, it feels kind of like the mobile days. Yes. And, and I wasn't around when the internet got announced, but sometimes when, when, you know, people start shitting on NFTs or web three, it kind of sounds like somebody who would be shitting on the internet if it got announced you know, was it the earliest days? Um, the other day, somebody was like, try to make uh, an argument that like, yeah, but the internet was like useful. And I was like, no, it wasn't. And he's like, yeah, you could Google things. I was like, I'm talking about before Google. Like yes. you can't even imagine the, the use cases of the internet, you know, like it's, it's that early. And, and what's cool is to watch these different projects and how creative people get and which ones end up sticking. And there's just so much room for uh, creativity and innovation and, and setting the standard that that's really exciting uh, to, to kind of watch and, and be a part of. So I think, you know, there's, there's some ideas where we're playing around with that ultimately connect back to debut and what we're doing there that um, will, will be a lot of fun. Well, that sounds really exciting. I know I've, I've been starting to get into uh, Web3, you know, the blockchain, crypto space, learning more and, and NFT. So I think this is just the beginning. It's, it, you know, there's 
this is the first time in the last year or so that NFT is like the vertical that really solidified, you know, the idea of tokenizing and purchase power. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, for, for that, for that person who basically is like, what's the use? Uh, I think they don't realize what, what is in store here. Um, yeah, man. And this has been an incredible, uh, time having you uh, on the show as one of my first guests. I'd love to have you more in the future. And, um, it was great to hear your story and yeah. Um, and any final thoughts, uh, that you want to share before we head off? No, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. I, I can't wait to, you know, uh, see, see, uh, see the show take off and, and Cheers, man. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And, for you. Yeah. I'm grateful to have you. And, uh, again, th- thanks to everybody for listening in and, uh, ha- it was wonderful having Bob Agamami on from Davy Capital and, uh, stay tuned for more. Have a, have a great day. Yeah.